Please join me in prayer as we begin. Yeah. Heavenly Father, as we come to listen to what you have to say to us regarding this topic of uh, whether to um, celebrate festivals and take part in customs, um, we pray that the words that are found on my lips and the meditation in our hearts will be right and pleasing and bring glory to your name. Amen. Okay, good morning. Um, as what I mentioned in the prayer, today we're taking a break from the Genesis series. Um, we have been plowing through the book of Genesis um, for the past few weeks, uh, but today we'll take a break from the series. And uh, as Pastor Chris has lined up the preaching schedule, uh, he has he signed the topic, uh, it's quite an appropriate topic, um, and that is whether to celebrate or not to celebrate. Okay, So it's got to do with the whole topic of uh, Christians, customs, and festivals. Okay. I will state up front um, that uh, my primary focus here will be on Chinese customs and festivals, okay? Since, understandably, I am not qualified to speak on the festivals of other races, okay? So, um, do forgive me if you're uh, not Chinese, but here in the sermon today, quite a lot of the uh, illustrations will be taken from Chinese customs and festivals. Uh, but I'm sure that the principles that I'll cover uh, will be equally applicable to your own customs and festivals, Okay? So I want to begin by asking, doing a very short survey. I want to ask a series of questions. Now, for each of these questions, there can only be three possible answers, okay? Yes, no, not sure, okay? So I will ask the question. I want you to think about it for a while. Then I'll say, how many of you say yes? If you belong to the category, just raise up your hand, okay? And then no, raise up your hand. Not sure, raise up your hand, okay? You can only raise up your hand once to be fair, okay? So it's got to be yes, no, or not sure, okay? So I will ask you some questions regarding some of the festivals and customs that we have, okay? So since this is Chinese New Year, I will begin with questions revolving around Chinese New Year before broadening out to the other festivals and customs, okay? I really have to thank uh, Pastor Chris for giving me this topic to preach because it's helped me to learn a lot about my own Chinese customs and, and traditions, okay? So are we ready to begin? Okay, here we go, okay? How many of you will be okay to hang Chinese New Year decorations? Yes. No. Not sure. Okay, not sure, good. Okay, so this is one, hang Chinese New Year decorations. Now, next one. How many of you will be okay to hang the Fu character upside down at the door of your house? Okay, yes, I see somebody behind there. Today is the first time that those in the cry room are participating actively. Very good, okay? Okay, so yes, how many of you are okay to hang the food upside down at your doorway? Yes, good. No? Not sure? Raise your hand up higher, you know? Exercise in the morning is good, okay? Okay, so this is very interesting. This was, uh, I, had a, I had a neighbor, uh, I'm staying on Trinity Theological College, and a neighbor who one day um, I saw he hung the food upside down. Then one of my students was disturbing me. He said, Oi, why don't you go and correct the, hang it back the other way around? Because he hung it wrongly. Yeah, good thing I wasn't uh, gullible. Huh? Yeah, I didn't fall into that trap. Yeah. But that student suffered as a result of testing his lecturer. No, no, just kidding, just kidding. Okay, next. How many of you will be okay to take part in uh, Lohei? Yes. No. Not sure. Okay. Very good. Okay. 
Um, just let you know, I'm not taking part because I will skew the results. Uh, huh? So that's why I'm not taking part in this, okay? Next, how many of you will be okay to wash your hair, sweep the floor, or read a book on the first day of Chinese New Year? Yes. No. Not sure. Okay, uh, some of you are a bit curious what's this thing. Uh, yeah, I remember growing up, um, growing up as a young child, uh, I used to, I, I, I like reading, so I used to bring a book along with me to the visitation. And then I remember my parents would tell me, no, don't do that, don't do that, because some of the other relatives don't like it. Yeah. You know why? Because the Chinese word for book is su, which sounds like loose, okay? That's why some, some of them are a little bit more uptight about that, okay? Next one. How many of you will be okay to watch a Tong Tong Cheng, Tong Tong Cheng, Lion Dance performance? Yes. No. Not sure. Okay, that's good. What about we flip the question a little bit more? How many of you, if you were a businessman, okay, or a shop retailer, how many of you will be okay to commission a lion dance performance? That means you hire a lion, lion dance troupe to come and dance in front of the shop, okay? How many of you will be okay to do that? Yes. No. Not sure. Okay, interesting, interesting results, okay? Now, I will ask the question again after I give you a bit more background on the lion dance performance, okay? So I'm told that the connotation of the lion dance, you know, with the lion dancing around and shaking the lion head, eh, from shop to shop, is really to bring blessing and fortune for the home or the business, okay? And this is especially so when it comes down to the finale of the dance, and the finale involves the lion prancing about and ultimately rearing its head to tai ting. Okay, the Chinese word tai ting, literally it means pluck the greens. See, in Chinese, the word for tai and tai, tai meaning fortune, sound very close. Okay, so that's why in this, in this practice, the lion will also sometimes pick up and ingest some oranges. Okay. And then after that, it will spit out the orange peel to form auspicious words or phrases. And in the land doing all this, it is said to ward off evil and call forth blessing. Okay? One last piece of information, so it's important. In a lion dance, before the new lion is commissioned, there is what you call the Tianjing ceremony. Okay? This is where a person of some social stature will be invited to dot the eyes. So if you are the businessman who hired the lion dance to come and dance in front of your company, organization, it'll probably be you doing it, okay? Tianjing. So that's where you will dot the eyes of the lion prior to the first performance. This is believed that you will animate and empower the lion, okay? And guess what? The eight key points of the lion to be dotted are as follows, okay? So let me just, um, I hope you can see it, okay? It's a bit small, I apologize for that. First one is the heavenly bell so that you experience excellence for all ages. Next is the eyes, so that for vision bright and clear. The nose for the flowing of energy. The mouth to roar in all directions. The ears to hear up to a 10,000 li. The horn to be a tower of strength. The body where the gods will recite. And the tail for inexhaustible might, okay? 
So after you do the Tianqing, the Tianqing ceremony is said to infuse the lion with spiritual life and to infuse the dance with the ability to ward off evil and bring forth blessing. Okay? So you didn't know all this about the lion dance, right? I didn't know so, but now you know. Okay? And now that you know, I want to ask the question again. How many of you will be okay to watch a lion dance performance? Yes. No. Not sure. Okay? And similarly, if you are a businessman or you are a retailer, how many of you will be okay to commission a lion dance performance with all this background in mind? Yes? No? Okay, not sure. How many? I think I saw a few more no hands if I'm not wrong, okay? <clears throat> okay, good. Thank you for doing that. Moving on to other Chinese customs and festivals, okay? I want to broaden beyond Chinese New Year, okay? How many of you will be okay to roll a pineapple when you move into your new home? <laughs> yes, no, or not sure? Yes. No. Not sure. Yeah. I never knew about this practice until I was watching the recent, um, I think there was an advertisement that the government put up about you know, how the government cares for all of us in different areas and housing. So there was this scene in the advertisement where this young couple moved into their home, then they got the baby, yeah, baby toddler, to roll the pineapple. So me and my wife were like, what's he doing? Yeah, and then I discovered that there's actually a practice behind it. Okay? It's for home... Um, when you move your new home, you, it's row in fortune. Okay? Row in fortune and blessing. Alright? Okay, next. How many of you will be okay to participate in Qingmingjie? Okay, Qingmingjie. Yes. No. Not sure. Okay, I think not everybody is taking part in the survey. Some are tired already, but just hang in there for a little while more. Okay? Okay, last, I think it's the last question. How many of you will be okay to burn incense and carry joss sticks as part of ancestral veneration? Okay? Yes. How many? Yes. No. Not sure. Okay. Okay. That's good. Okay. Thank you for doing the survey. Hope you had some fun in doing it. Um, but we have to stop. Lah. Otherwise, the whole sermon is just doing this survey. <laughs> I'll be in trouble, okay? So, okay, so to celebrate or not to celebrate, okay? So today, really, I'm speaking on Christians, customs, and festivals. And to be honest, this is a tough issue. This is really a tough issue. So uh, after I was assigned the topic, I was talking to the Mandarin pastor, uh, Yak Chao, and I tried using my uh, negotiation skills to tell him, hey, since Mandarin ministry, you face a lot of this issue, why don't you come and preach at, 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 at this service? Uh? Yeah. And then, of course, he said he couldn't. But then, as we talked along, I realized that even in, in terms of thinking of this area, it's a bit uh, 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 ambiguous for some. So there are some very clear-cut areas and other areas where it really is quite debatable in that sense. Okay? Um, and I can also say that this is perhaps more real for first-generation Christians than for second-generation Christians. So I was very privileged to be born in a, as a second-generation Christian, so I never really had to grapple much with this. But um, some of my friends and others who are first-generation Christians, um, sometimes this is really, really an issue that they struggle with, huh? especially as they want to reach out and, and witness to their family and their relatives. Uh, but yet, yeah, at the same time, it's something that they struggle with. Okay? 
Um, and this is the most important point. I don't have detailed answers for us today. Okay, I'm sorry, I don't have detailed answers. There are just too many individual customs and festivals to go through. Okay, so it's impossible to cover all the examples under one sermon. Instead, what I want to do, or rather what I hope to do, is to list down some broad principles for our consideration. Okay, and hopefully these broad principles will serve as a guide for us as we think through our own customs and festivals. doesn't have to be Chinese customs and festivals, can be other races, so the customs and festivals we did. Hopefully these broad principles will help. Okay? So I want to begin by saying that when it comes to this topic of whether to celebrate or not to celebrate, um, a similar approach comes about as to how most people view of the Christian life, how they view the Christian life. And that is, most people will view the Christian life consisting more of cannots than can. Okay? So when it comes to Christians and the celebration of customs and festivals, most of us intuitively take the same approach or view of the Christian life in general. That is, we think that it is more characterized by cannot than can. That is why when you talk to your non-Christian friends, when you talk to an outsider, a very common perception that they have is, I don't wanna. Christianity has a lot of rules. It's all about what you cannot do, correct? Or some of them will tell you, uh, can you please, I'm very young now, I'm only in my 20s, can you please come back to me when I'm 50, okay? And these 30 years, you let me go out and do whatever that I want to do because after I become a Christian, I cannot do all these things anymore already. Huh? So this is a very common perception of the Christian life. And sometimes we carry that over to festivals and customs. Cannot, cannot celebrate. That, that almost seems like um, the immediate intuitive uh, blanket answer. Okay? However, as I read the scriptures, I realize that a different picture is given to us from the scriptures. Okay? And what I want to say to us is that scriptures present a greater freedom. The scriptures overall seem to present to us a greater freedom. And even in cases where one cannot do something, it is more because of one does not want to do that thing. One chooses not to do that thing, okay? Rather than a strict cannot do it, okay? Well, it's good to know that uh, I have a fan who's come up all the way to the front. <laughs> so I'm going to look at the different passages across Scripture that help to build up this picture, okay? This, this sense of the freedom that we have uh, in, in, in the Christian life, okay? And uh, I will begin by um, picking up a passage from Genesis 2, 15 to 17, the passage that was read for us, okay? Um, why don't we just read it together again for our uh, um, interaction, okay? Let, let's read this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this passage strikes me as God is a wonderful creator God who has given his creation immense freedom. Okay, immense freedom. You realize God never said to Adam and Eve, okay, Adam and Eve, listen up, okay? Are you, you, do you have pen and paper with you? Are you taking note of this, okay? Because Monday, you eat of tree A. Tuesday, you eat of tree B, okay? Located in the southwest corner of the garden, okay? Wednesday, you eat of tree C. Thursday, eat of tree D, okay? And then Friday, 
you diet. No, no he, didn't, he didn't say that, okay? He didn't say that. He said, you are free to eat from any tree and every tree except one tree, okay? And this tree, the prerogative belongs to God only. To know, as in to decide what is good and what is evil, that is not something that belongs to creation. That is something that belongs to the Creator. Okay? That's why this tree, mankind cannot eat from. Okay? But any other tree, mankind is free to eat from. Okay? So this, this really helps to change the perception that we have. Huh? Every time we come to Genesis, we think, oh, God, is, God wants to curtail our freedom. Then you ask, why? Because He didn't allow us to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? And we tend to think that way. But the truth is that, yes, He didn't allow us to eat from that tree, but He allowed us to eat from any other tree, and there are so many trees that we can choose from. Okay? The question is also often asked, especially if you go to children's church, they always ask very, very good questions. They shoot up their hand and they ask, then why did God put that tree in the garden then? If you don't allow them to eat, why you can put it there? It's like my parents, you know, tell me not to eat sweets. Then before they leave the home, they leave one whole jar of sweets on the centre of the table. Oh, really? So, oh, good question, okay? The answer that I have, God put the tree in the garden uh, there, is so that he can show us what appropriately belongs to us in our created place. And that is obedience. So the right response that the creation has to its creator, the right response that mankind has to our creator God is that of obedience. Okay? And the only way to enable this obedience to show forth, the only way for obedience to play forth is by having this tree there, okay? So the, by having the tree there, it shows whether mankind wants to obey God or not, okay, in there. So that, that's, that's the, the answer behind that. But other than that, there is really great freedom. It's more of can rather than cannot. And this is the picture that we get right from the beginning pages of Scripture, okay? Moving on in Scripture, Probably the one place in the scriptures where it certainly contains a lot more cannot kind of language, okay? Some of you may point out to me, you may say, look, look at the Ten Commandments, okay? There is a lot of explicit cannot language. Cannot do this, cannot do this, cannot do this, okay? That is true, but even then, I suggest to us that rather than to think of the Ten Commandments as cannots, it might be better to think of the Ten Commandments as I don't want to or I would not want to do these things. Okay? I suggest that's the better framework to think about it. And it's very important because every time you read the Ten Commandments, a lot of us actually fail to read the preamble before the Ten Commandments. And the preamble is very, very important. Okay? And it is this, Exodus 22. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, this preamble itself sets up the entire context of the Ten Commandments. Here is the God who has just rescued His people. Here is the God who has just delivered His enemies from slavery, from, from, their, from sin, okay? And God has done all of this <clears throat> so that the fullness of His purpose can be carried out in Israel. And what is that purpose again? From Genesis 1 to 2, 
we learn that it is for relationship. God's purpose for His creation is for relationship. Relationship with God in His eternal rest. Not just relationship with God, but also relationship with one another, with fellow humanity. That's the sole purpose of God, okay? Relationship with Him, one another. And when we take that preamble into account, it changes the way we see the Ten Commandments. Rather than it being a list of cannots from a God who is non-negotiable and just states this is the way it is, okay? Instead of seeing things that way, we instead see the Ten Commandments more as, I would not want to do these things. I will not want to worship other gods. I will not want to cheat on and, and, and commit adultery. I will not want to envy what my neighbour has especially as I realise that this is the God who has saved me, who has rescued me for relationship with Him and with others. Okay? Once we see this in the light of the preamble, then we see the Ten Commandments more as, I don't want to do these things, as I allow God to bring forth His purpose in us. Okay? This way of understanding the Ten Commandments is further reinforced by our Lord Jesus himself. Okay, so allow me to read the passage. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Which is the greatest commandment? This is a question that has generated much discussion among the Pharisees and religious leaders. It was a popular question of debate back in those days. In other words, if I would rephrase this question, it was this. They were asking, of all the cannots, huh, which is the greatest cannot? We like to think this way, right? Of all the cannots, the things that you cannot do, which is the greatest one? But notice Jesus' answer. Notice the positive spin he gave to the answer. It's not about cannot. It's about I don't want to or I would not choose to. Why? Because one who loves the Lord his God with all his entire being, one who loves fellow neighbour in the same way, this fulfills all the commandments. Jesus focuses on the positive aspect. He focuses on the immense freedom one has. And this is a freedom to love God and to love neighbour totally and fully. That's true freedom. Okay? This same essential freedom, freedom to love, is seen in the New Testament epistles. Okay? So this passage, Acts 15, is actually taken from the first Jerusalem council. And uh, this was when Gentiles started to convert to Christianity. Okay? And they had to convene the council to say, on what grounds do we accept these Gentile Christians as bona fide Christians? Okay? And you notice here in the passage, verse 28, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So notice the immense freedom given to Gentile converts to Christianity. They were only to avoid two key things, two main things in there, idolatry and sexual 
immorality. They did not have to follow any of the other Jewish customs and laws in order to be counted as God's children, God's people. Okay? This same conclusion is repeated in the letter of 1 Corinthians, which is Paul's big idea to the church in Corinth. Okay? He says, you must no longer live like the Gentiles in your old ways. So flee from two things. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from idolatry. Okay? In there. So we see that rather than to view the Christian life as full of rules and regulations, full of cannots, it might be better to think of it the other way around. The Christian life is one where we abound in true freedom. This is a freedom that you and I were never able to enjoy before in our sin. We couldn't have this freedom. And this is the freedom to love God and to love neighbour. That's what true freedom is. So true freedom is not you do whatever you like in, your, in our sinful nature, but true freedom is to love God and to love neighbour. And at the very least, a key marker of loving God and loving neighbour would mean fleeing from idolatry and sexual immorality. Okay? So you may be asking, wow, this, this, this Bible overview was really, really quick. But how does all this translate to Christians and customs and festivals? So you still haven't answered my question, Edmund. Can celebrate or cannot celebrate? Okay? Arising from this larger scripture picture, I would just want to tease out for us four principles. Four principles which I think can be fruitfully applied when it comes to whether we should celebrate customs and festivals or practices. Okay? So, ready? Four principles, okay? First, first principle is what I call the principle of explicit prohibition, okay? And that is, since as Christians we are to avoid sexual immorality and idolatry, the key question to ask in this principle is, does the custom or practice concern have an established, immediate, and clear association with idolatry or sexual immorality. Okay? Now, the key words to note here are the underlined words. Okay? Does it have an established association? That means it's widely accepted. This is the case. Okay? The general consensus is uh, it's, it's widely accepted that this custom or practice has to do with, for example, idolatry or sexual immorality. Okay? Widely established. Immediate. Immediate is at first intuition. Okay? And lastly, clear, meaning it is non-debatable or disputable. Okay? So in this case, the custom or the festival is widely understood without dispute to have to do with some form of worship of other gods or spiritual beings and extended to this communication with the dead. Okay? If so, then I would say it is good to avoid practicing this particular custom or celebrating this festival. Okay? Just to make it a bit more concrete for us, how this principle pans out. So, for example, um, some practices that will be included under this principle, which I, I would encourage us to avoid, okay, will be some of the following. Okay? For example, the feeding of nian kao to the kitchen god. 
Okay? So I, I, I'm told before you actually celebrate the Chinese New Year, uh, one of the days, I can't remember which day now, um, yeah, some of the more traditional families will actually take the nian cow and, uh, and, and not feed it to human beings, uh, but actually feed it to, 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 to the kitchen god. Okay? It's a way of encouraging the kitchen god to come and to bless uh, this uh, household. Okay? Um, so down there, I think there is quite an established, clear, and immediate practice that is associated with the worshipping okay, of, uh, of, of, of another god. Okay? Kitchen god. Okay, next, um, celebrate Zhong Chiu Jie okay, as a worship of the goddess of the moon. Okay? Now, here I have to clarify immediately. Okay? Here, the context is that Zhong Chiu Jie is celebrated. Okay? Um, not so much to uh, um, enjoy the fullness of the moon on that day, but this is celebrated more as a way to worship Chang Yi, okay? which is Chang Er. Yeah. <laughs> I saw, I saw Pastor Roger doing this to me, telling me that I've mispronounced wrongly. Okay. Tang Er, okay? So, Tang Er is believed to be the lady, the mythical figure behind the lady and the goddess of the moon. Okay? So, in certain quarters, they celebrate Mooncake Festival as a worship of uh, this lady in the moon, Tang Er. Okay? So, for example, I'm told in Malaysia, some places, they'll go to the temple and they actually um, uh, uh, celebrate or, or, yeah, the Mooncake Festival there. Okay, in that sense. So, if that is the context of the celebration of Mooncake Festival, then I would encourage us under this principle to avoid that. Okay, next, offering of food, joysticks, and paper money to the dead. Okay, I think this is, uh, is associated, clearly associated with some kind of communication with the dead, and I think that is to be avoided. Okay. Um, and this can take place either during Qingming Jie or Zhongyuan Jie. Okay, Qingming Jie is the, uh, the, 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 the tidying up of the tombs and things like that. Uh, Zhongyuan Jie is Hungry Ghost Festival. Okay, next one. Um, yep, we are also um, to avoid participating or contributing towards Ke Tai dinner or performances during the Hungry Ghost Festival. Okay, um, by this... Um, Participating by contributing, I mean, uh, for example, you make monetary contributions towards the Ke Thai dinner, okay? Or you casually attend the dinners, okay? That means you don't really have to attend, but you want to attend, okay? That, that's what I mean by casually attending the dinners, okay? Uh, or, for example, taking part in the auctions that, are, uh, that, that happen during the Ke Thai dinners, okay? And then you go in and you bid for it and you actually buy those items. I think that that would be... Uh, 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 is a strong, established, clear, and immediate association with um, uh, ghosts and, and spiritual beings and so forth. Okay? Next, we should not take part in ghost weddings. What are ghost weddings? Ghost weddings are not when the bride and the bridegroom don't turn up on the actual day. Okay? That, that, that's a form of ghost wedding also, but I'm not talking about those. Instead, I'm talking about it's a wedding that's arranged by, uh, for example, sometimes uh, temple mediums and so forth. They will come, okay, and uh, yeah, uh, they will arrange a, a, a wedding um, for a deceased relative with another deceased relative, okay? And it normally involves the burning of, uh, what do you call it, effigies, is it? Yeah, they'll, they'll burn that to, to symbolize that the wedding has taken place. So that, I think, is uh, it's also uh, no-go under this principle. Okay, 
joining in prayers or rituals for the dead at wakes and funerals. Okay, so here I'm referring to, uh, for example, if it's a Taoist funeral, a Buddhist funeral, or wake, sometimes they have uh, prayers or rituals that will be spoken. And uh, generally, um, yeah, we should avoid joining in. Okay, I know this is a very, very hard one, and I've really listen to some congregation members who really struggle with this, saying, Pastor, what should I do? Because, you know, my family, I'm the eldest in the family, sometimes I have to, and, and, and so forth, okay? It's a hard one to avoid, but I'm told that nowadays, here's the saving grace for us, huh? nowadays, if the funeral director is true to their Chinese belief of Buddhism or Taoism, they also would not want non-adherents of Buddhism or Taoism to participate in these prayers and rituals. So sometimes the funeral director themselves, okay, they will ask for all the Christians in the family, okay? So they say, who are the Christians? Raise up your hand, please. So you identify yourself, and then they tell you, okay, please step aside. Don't take part in the ritual, okay? Yep. So if the funeral director is true, in a sense, to the, to the Buddhism or Taoism thing, um, yeah, they, they would ask for the Christians to be excused. If that happens to you, then I think we really thank God for his, uh, his, his, his grace, in that sense, that comes in, okay? That is really God's grace in helping us through a very difficult situation. So in all of the above examples that I've shown there, I do think there is some established, immediate, and clear association of the custom or practice with idolatry. Okay? Okay? Next, principle two, is what I call the principle of honesty, self-honesty. Now, this principle comes in handy, especially with the more ambiguous practice and customs that are not immediately or clearly associated with idolatry. But instead, they seem to border more on superstition. Okay? And this requires us to distinguish between the symbolism of a custom or practice and to distinguish between the superstition of the practice of custom and to honestly ask ourselves which is the one that truly matters to us. So, for example, if I were to do this practice or observe this custom, am I doing it more because of the symbolism or really, at the end of the day, am I doing it more because I am gripped by the superstition? behind it, okay? So, for example, some examples here, uh, low hay and this proclamation of blessings, okay? So, uh, how many of you had a low hay dinner and at the low hay dinner or meal, the more traditional blessings were proclaimed, okay? Uh, that means not the Christianized ones, uh, okay? But I'm referring to the more traditional ones like, like these, okay? I'll read them out for you. Pian di huang jing. The land is full of gold, okay? Jing ying man tang which means uh, go savings <laughs> will fill your house. <laughs> Correct, or? Pastor Roger. <laughs> okay, next one. Da ji da li. Okay, da ji da li. Okay, and the next one, this one. This one is a very famous one. That's why you have the, you go to some uh, hawker stores, they have the cat. You know the cat that goes like that? Okay, it really means zao uh, okay, you usher in the uh, wealth and the gold and everything, okay? Or even the most famous one, as you do your lohe, okay? So the question is, will we be okay to say them? Okay, as we do it to say these traditional ones, okay? You could be gripped by, you could just be going along with the symbolism of it and just joining in the kind of mood and festivity, 
Or you could really be gripped by the superstition. That means you believe that by saying this, it really changes your fortune. So here you have to ask yourself which one is more true for you in your heart. Okay? Hanging of Chinese New Year decorations, including hanging the fu upside down. Okay, once again, this is the example behind it. Are you doing it more out of the symbolism or are you doing it more because you are gripped by the superstition? Okay, behind it. Okay? Another one, practice of um, shou sui. You know what shou sui is? Okay, how many of you had your children shou sui for you? Don't, don't show me, okay? Don't show me. Because yeah. okay. mine didn't. Uh, yeah. But shou sui is the practice where your children will stay up late, correct? And uh, the idea is that uh, for each hour that they stay up, they kind of like add length to the parents' uh, uh, years uh, in that sense, okay? So this is a, yeah. Some of you don't even know that such a practice there is, right? Yeah, okay? For the children, this is a tip, okay? Now that you know there's such a practice, Chinese New Year Eve, next year, you go and tell your parents, Daddy, Mommy, let me stay all throughout the night. Okay, it's your chance to party. No, no, just kidding, huh? Okay? Sure, see. Okay, rolling of pineapples, another one. Are you more gripped by the symbolism or are you more gripped by the superstition? Okay? And the last one, even a businessman or retailer commissioning a lion dance. Okay? Are you doing it more for the symbolism behind it or are you really gripped by the superstition? That you believe that unless you have this lion dancing in front of your house or business, uh, next year will be a terrible year for you. Okay? So that you have to distinguish between that. Are we okay? Okay? Principle of self-honesty. Third one. Principle of conscience, okay? Now, once again, this principle comes in handy with the more ambiguous practices that are not clearly or immediately associated with idolatry. And the main thing in this principle is don't act against your conscience. Don't do anything that will leave you feeling uneasy and perhaps even feeling guilty, okay? And here, just to say that each of us will have different degrees of conscience or conviction, when it comes to the same practice or custom, okay? So one person, his conscience frees him up as a businessman to bring in a land dance troupe, have all the rah-rah, everything, and to, and to do that because he knows in his heart that he is going more with the symbolism of it. While another businessman, Christian businessman, may feel really uneasy about doing that because he knows that the temptation is that he will be gripped more by the superstition, so can you see if the same practice, we can have different varying levels of conscience or conviction, okay? And just to say that conscience can also vary according with a growth in faith, in our Christian faith, okay? Or a growth in knowledge, knowledge of the particular custom or practice, okay? So how many of us down here, when I was doing the survey earlier, felt a little bit more uneasy to put up your hand after I shared more on the background behind the lion dance. How many down here? Felt a little bit more uneasy. Not sure. Okay, after you heard the information about what lies behind the lion dance. Can you see? Okay, so as we grow in knowledge of a certain custom or festival, that may affect our conscience and our uh, level of uh, comfort in, in doing something, in carrying that out. Okay, so this is the third principle, principle of conscience. The final principle is the principle of love, which governs over everything. So we have seen how the second and third principles, that of honesty and conscience, it may lead one to, to do a certain custom or practice while another does not do the same. Okay? So for someone, it may be out of pure symbolism that he keeps a certain practice, his, his or her conscience allows him or her to do that. 
while for another one, that person sees it more as superstition and therefore their conscience does not allow them to act in that way. Okay? But in all of this, we want to adhere to the principle of love. And the New Testament church faced a similar issue. The New Testament church, it was not over what custom or practice to adopt, but it was over what foods can be eaten and the observance of certain days. Okay? And this was an issue that was so big that it threatened to split the unity of the church. And listen to what Paul had to say on this. Okay? Romans 14. We will read it responsively. I will read the first slide and then you can read the next and so on. Okay? So Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over options. Opinions, sorry. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Your turn. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And together... For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here the principle of love really tells us this. The one whose conscience allows him or her to observe a certain custom or practice must not insist on it and end up stumbling another one whose conscience does not allow him or her to do the same. Okay? Likewise, the one whose conscience does not allow him or her to observe a certain custom or practice must not judge the one whose conscience allows him or her to observe that custom. Okay? And the overall principle, as we read from Romans 14, instead is this, whatever one does, whether observe or not observe, whether celebrate or not celebrate, it is done to the Lord. Yeah? <clears throat> And the overall principle here 
is the principle of Christ's love for us. It is his love that drove us through him to purchase the church with his blood. Okay? And here it is the principle of our love for each other which leads to the unity of Christ's body, the church. These two, Christ's love for us, our love for each other, it is much larger than whether we observe or whether we don't observe the custom. Okay? In fact, I will even say that the principle of Christ's love for us extends to situations where we may have failed and where we may have practiced customs or festivals which fall into the first category that I mentioned earlier, those that are explicitly prohibited because of their clear association with idolatry. Okay? I want to say if that is you, for example, you had a recent uh, demise of a family member, extended family member, and you had to participate in the rites, okay? even though you, you tried to say no, but it was, it was really, really hard. I want to say even in this instance, the principle of Christ's love for you extends over our failings. Okay? Even in those instances, there is forgiveness. Christ's love for us overcomes our failure. Yeah? So to celebrate or not to celebrate, okay? So really, rather than to see this as restrictive, I encourage us to see the Christian life as one of true freedom. And this is a freedom to love the Lord and to love neighbour. This is a freedom that none of us could have or were able to have in our sinful fallen state. But this is a freedom that Christ precisely has come to set us free for to love God totally, and to love neighbour. And to realise that even if there are instances in the Christian faith where there are clear rules of cannot, I suggest that they arise more out of a framework of I will not, I choose not to do this. In my love for God, in my love for neighbour, I choose not to act this way. Okay? Then when it comes down to, the, to this actual um, celebration of customs and festivals or not, I stated for us four principles that we can go with. First one is the principle of explicit prohibition. So if the custom or festival is clearly, immediately, directly associated with idolatry, sexual immorality, we stay clear of it. Okay? Do our best, stay clear of that. Next, principle of honesty is to ask yourself when you do this certain custom or festival, are you more going along with the symbolism of it or are you, going, are you more gripped by the superstition behind it? Okay? Principle of conscience, don't do anything against your conscience. And most important of all, lastly, principle of love. To remember that indeed Christ's love for us and our love for each other as the body of Christ is far greater, is far bigger than whether we observe a particular custom or not. Okay? So with that in mind, I wish all of you Sing Nian Meng En. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, we thank you that indeed Christ has come to set us free. That indeed he has come to bring to us that true freedom, that freedom which we're not able to have, not able to possess because of our sinful, rebellious, fallen state. But instead, Christ has come precisely to set us free for the true freedom that you have designed for each and every one of us. And that true freedom abounds in loving you and loving our neighbour totally and fully. And so, Lord, we pray that as we take this in mind, 
and as we think about whether to celebrate customs and festivals or not, we pray that indeed whatever that you have shown us in your holy word, the four principles that are there may serve as a guide and that most of all, the principle of love may prevail. Your love for us and our love for one another leading to unity in the body of Christ, that that may prevail. For indeed, the kingdom of God is not a matter of observing this custom or this festival or this practice, but instead, it is one of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.